I didn't know. Um, I couldn't shake this, and after Kara obeyed, I felt like I better obey. So um, last week when Sean preached that message and uh, he touched on why it's said in the scripture, and I, I think it's in Matthew 19, I believe it was. I'm not sure. But he was talking about, you know, because of the men's hardness of heart, Moses, Moses permitted them to get divorced. And that, that, that struck me really hard because I started thinking about hardness of heart. And divorce wasn't the problem. It was hardness of heart. You know, that always has to come first, you know, a hard heart. And I got to thinking about that and listening to the Lord on that. And it says because of hardness of heart, Moses permitted divorce. Well, it had to be something that happened during the time of Moses. And most of us know the time of Moses was when he took the people out of Egypt and they went into the wilderness. So it must have been sometime during that time that all this was permitted. And I got to thinking about the hardness of life. I had a friend, a Christian friend of mine said, life's hard, get a helmet. You know, that's kind of a joke, but you know, life is hard. And because it's hard, sometimes we get hard, don't we? And I've looked at myself, I've, I've you know, been in the last year or more, I've been, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And a lot of it, and that was last week, that was like, that's been something that's crept into my life. You know, it isn't the wife that gives you a hard heart. Now, she might. We don't, we, there's a, there's a multitude of reasons for a hard heart, right? You could have things go bad at work and you get a hard heart. You could, you know, be upset at the, the Colts losing the, the playoffs, you know, and get, get angry. You know, anything could give you a heart. The Bible says, I think in Psalm somewhere, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. So, you know, when your heart gets stopped up and when it gets hard, it doesn't just affect your relationship with God, it reflects your relationship with everyone else too. And I got to thinking about that and that, that's really been something that's been gnawing on me and uh, I'm asking God to just work in me on that. But I, I felt like I kept feeling pushed to share that because the hardness of heart affects everything in our life. And you know, the Bible talks about the heart a lot. And uh, you know, so our hearts need to be open to God. It's with the heart men believe, resulting in righteousness. It's with our heart. So we gotta keep that heart open to God and open to others too. So I about you, but I feel like I've already been to church. Wow. Holy Spirit has fallen. You feel it? Good words. Thank you guys for being obedient to the Holy Spirit this morning. And, and uh, you know, it just seems like the Lord has orchestrated everything in our lives, and it's no more evident than what we've just experienced, because the, the verses we're going to be talking about today comes out of Ephesians chapter 4. 
and it's uh, we're in the Titan of the Knot series, right? In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, if you look at the New Revised Standard Version, it says this, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Tender, tender-hearted. You know, and I, I've, this week I've been thinking a lot about tender hearts because we can, as, as Jeff has talked about, and we shared a little bit about that last Sunday. You, you shared how that, that really struck with you and, and it really resonated with my spirit as well that, that we can get hard hearts. And it can happen between husband and wives, but it can also happen with other people and other believers too. We get offended or hurt by somebody, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, but it causes us to put a shell around our hearts. And we don't give ourselves the way that Christ gave to us, you know? And it just it it just resonated with what's going on so far in, in our service today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today, and, and Lord, uh, your spirit is here. It's evident. God, I just pray, as, as Kara talked about, no distraction, not to be distracted. And Father, I pray that, that we would have ears to hear the word today. This has a lot to do with husband and wives, but it also has a lot to do with our day-to-day lives with, and interactions with, with fellow believers and, and people of the world because we are to be your witnesses in this world. And the way we live and the way we love and the way we treat people is going to be clearly evident of who we, who we believe in and, and who we live for. So, Father, I just pray that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would, would continue to fall and give us wisdom and an understanding on how we can tighten that knot with our, with our, with our wives and our husbands, but also with, with our fellow believers and, and for, for those who we are ministering to in this, in this world that may not be believers yet we want them to be amen so lord we just uh we ask father that that your your word would not go out of this place uh void but it would produce fruit and it would strengthen our marriages and strengthen our relationships with one another so we just thank you and we give you all the glory and all the praise and it's in jesus name we pray amen you know you can grieve the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, I think it's in verse, let me get to it, I think it's in verse 30, 30 verse 30, right before the verses we're studying today, it says that. And it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of those things. Those things grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know, and I can't think of more that would grieve him than a husband and wife having all these issues, the, the malice and the, and the anger and, and the brawling and the slander and all malice. Because in Genesis it says that what God joined together, let not man separate. And sometimes we can isolate ourselves and harden our hearts towards our wives can't we? And, and our husbands too. You know, it's, 
it's up to us. Husbands, we're supposed to be the spiritual leaders in our homes, but we're also to lead in every aspect of the relationships. A lot of you guys have been through premarital counseling with me and crisis counseling, some of you. But who is it that leads in every aspect of your relationship and your marriages and your, your relationship with your significant other? It's you, right? You lead in spiritual things in, 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 in your life, you know, and you teach your wife. And, and we, we just learned a couple weeks ago about how we are to give ourselves as Christ gave himself for the church to our wives, washing her through the word with water and presenting her to ourselves pure and spotless, blameless, you know. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the spiritual leaders in our house, and so many times, sadly enough, we're not. Most of the times in the couples that I deal with, the women are more spiritually mature than their husbands or their boyfriends or their fiancés, and that's just a cold, hard truth, and it should not be that way, brothers. We are to lead in everything. We're to lead in gentleness and tenderness and kindness, and we shared a little bit about chapter 5 of Song of Solomon the last time I was here about how Solomon's wife, his beloved, uh, had heard him, and he didn't, you know, beat down the door and, and tried to exercise his rights as husband, but he left a little calling card of liquid myrrh on the, on the handle of the, of the doorknob, the lock, that kept him from her as, as a blessing to her. Instead of, of giving her, you know, harsh treatment, he was gentle and kind. We're supposed to lead in tenderness and kindness towards our wives. They're precious to us. That's the most precious gift that God ever gave me was my wife. I didn't always understand that until I became a believer and I gave my heart to the Lord. I didn't know how to love until I, Jesus showed me his love and I began to enter into the relationship with him. So we have this great ability to, to lead our wives and to love our wives, but we fall short. I fall short. And I can tell you and my wife would agree with me that uh, for the first 25 years of our marriage, probably, I was a poster child of what not to do in your marriage. I was not a leader in my household. I was not a spiritual leader. I was not even there most of the time because in my mind and in the worldview that I had, Basically, what I was supposed to do was be a good provider. So I stayed away. I worked away from home for five days out of the week, and when I came home, then I worked some more. And uh, the only time I was home was long enough to basically wash clothes and to uh, work other jobs and get up on Monday morning and go back on the road again. My wife told me many times, how even though she was married, how alone she felt. And that shouldn't have been. That was my fault. That's on me. And because of the way I grew up, I didn't know what a loving husband looked like. I didn't know what a loving father looked like. So I didn't know how to be one. And I made a lot of mistakes with my sons as well along the way and my wife. I did the best I could, but it wasn't what they deserved and what God intended. I didn't understand and know that until I dedicated my life to the Lord and I surrendered his lordship over my life. 
because you can't be a leader until you're a follower of Jesus. Does that make sense? You can't be a leader until you're a follower of Jesus. When you submit to his lordship over your life and when you start experience his love and his mercy and his graciousness and his forgiveness, then you can operate out of forgiveness. And you understand that that is the most important thing, that you have been forgiven. And just as God in Jesus Christ has forgiven you, you forgive others, right? Your husband and your wife know that you're not perfect, right? You never were designed to be, but you're designed to be one thing, and that is perfectible, right? Many of you guys have been in premarital with me know that, to be perfectible. When we hurt each other, we learn that we've hurt our spouses and we, we do something different. We repent, right? So it says to be kind, you know, and, and that's, that's something that, that's very important, to show kindness to one another. You guys, how many of y'all been married for, how many married couples we have in here right now? And how many are we got that's in here might be getting ready to get married? Well, you guys remember back when you started your relationship with your beloved? You said tender words to one another. You made googly eyes. You couldn't wait to be with one another. And you touched and you caressed and you hugged and you kissed. And it was amazing. And then what happens? You get married, right? And everything goes out the window. Because we get so caught up in responsibilities and roles and we allow that, that to go away. And we get tired and we get angry sometimes because things don't always go our way. And we might say things that are harmful to the one that we promised to love, to cherish, to stay with, forsaking all others. What did, most of you guys, if you had traditional vows, said something like this. In sickness and in health, for better, for worse, worse, till death do you part, right? But in our society, we have a throwaway, disposable mentality that when things don't go our way, what's the first thing they want to do? Is they want to separate and divorce and they want to try it all over again. But that shouldn't be the way it is in a Christian home. Be kind. Proverbs 15.1 says this, A gentle answer stirs away, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Be kind. Be kind. You know, we don't know. You know, being on the road, it was tough. Working out of town and, and, and the work that I did was hard and it was hot in the summertime, cold in the wintertime. But I never really took into consideration how hard it was on my wife. Put yourself in, the, in your spouse's shoes and what she's going through or what he's going through. And have, have compassion. That's the second part. It says, be compassionate. Or in, in a new, uh, new revised standard, it says, 
be tender-hearted towards one another. You know, and that compassion, it, it means to, to bear with one another. And it says in Galatians 6, 2, that if we bear with one another the burdens of this life, this way you will fill the, fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12, 15 says that, that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. We have a tender heart. When our spouse is hurt, we hurt. We're one. The two become one, right? So when you hurt your spouse, you're hurting yourself in a lot of ways. I heard an old saying one time, what you feed your spouse is probably what you're going to get in return. Harsh word stirs up anger, right? And I don't know of any conversation that I ever had with my wife where it started out with harsh words that it, that it didn't escalate. Right? There's never been a time in the life that I've had with my wife where we start saying harsh words and all of a sudden she will say, oh, I'm sorry, I repent. You ever have her, uh, don't ever tell her to calm down either. <laughs> amen. <laughs> I get an amen from the wives. <laughs> but you know, we're going to be tenderhearted. We're supposed to be created and and conform to the image of Christ. And Christ was tender-hearted, was he not? He was compassionate. He showed us his tender heart. Remember when, when Lazarus died and he went to Martha and Mary and they rushed up to him. Oh, Jesus, if you'd only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And they were mourning and grieving for their brother. And what did Jesus do? He wept. In, in his, in his tender-heartedness, he, he, he was able to to empathize with, with Martha and Mary, even though he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. He was overcome with the emotion. And, you know, that's, that's the way we ought to be able to empathize with those who are hurting. And that's what compassion is, to empathize with someone who's suffering and to feel compelled to reduce that suffering. It's more than just a feeling, isn't it? It prompts us into actions. James chapter 2 tells us what? That faith without action is, is what? It's dead. It's dead. It goes on in James chapter 2. It says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and if one of us says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, there's so many things that I could say to my wife, you know, I'll help you with this, honey, but I don't do it. Well, sooner or later, she's just going to give up, right? She's going to learn that she can't count on me to do what I say that I'm going to do. Being kind, compassionate, and tenderhearted is how we should be with our spouses even more with, than with anybody else. So many times we put our spouses on the back burners, don't we? Because we want to please other people. We make everybody else and our careers a lot of times our priorities. And we put our wives and their needs and our children on the back burner. Don't ask me how I know. We are human and we make mistakes and sometimes we hurt each other. And sometimes intentionally. We hurt, so we hurt back. Sometimes we hurt each other without even knowing what we did. 
but we can't let that hurt turn us bitter towards our spouse and harden our hearts towards them. So how do we get beyond hurt? The other good F word, forgive. Forgive. Forgiving comes from the Greek, and it's a verb. It's an action word, and it is afiemi. Afiemi. And it means, basically, to pardon, to remit an offense or a debt. And simply it means to let go. To let go. So many times we hold, we'll hold a grudge or we'll, we'll take an offense and we want to bury it deep inside of us and it creates in us a stronghold and a, and a hardened heart and a bitterness. And it just, if not dealt with right, it just sits there and it festers in us. And it festers in us to the point where that hurt spouse, that hurt friend, even if you go near them, to talk to them, to speak to them. It's like having a having a, a splinter in your in your hand, all right? You get a you ever get a splinter in your hand and it doesn't you don't get it out of there, what happens? It festers up and it gets all infected and, and so sore you don't even want anybody looking at it hard most instead of touching it. And that's what happens with our, our unforgiveness and our bitterness. If we don't deal with it, then it starts causing us great problems and great pain and we don't even want to, to face it and go go get it fixed because it hurts so bad. So we got to let those things go. Harriet Beecher said, every man or woman should have a fair-sized cemetery in which to bury the faults of their friends. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> well, Star Charles Spurgeon went on to say that, that to forgive and to when you when you bury the hatchet, when you forgive and forget, he says, when you bury a mad dog, you don't leave his tail above ground. <laughs> but there's no point in burying a tail or even burying a hatchet if you want to put a marker on that spot. So many times that's what we want to do, don't we? We want to, I think Garth Brooks even had a song called Bury the Hatchet. We bury the hatchet, but we leave the handle sticking out because some things we want to dig back up, we should forget about. I think that's the way the lyric goes. You know, and Tommy Nelson, he talks about in that, on that Song of Solomon series, that he said that somebody came to him one time and says, my wife gets mad at me and she gets historical. <laughs> but 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says what? Love keeps no record of wrong. You let go. You let go. But you know what? Forgiveness is for, for the one who's been hurt and offended as much as it is for the person who did the offending. The person who, who may have hurt you, maybe your husband, your wife, who hurt you, might not even be aware of the deep pain that they've caused you. And they're walking around oblivious to it. But here you are, you're in the bondage of that, of that pain and bitterness because you won't let it go. You won't let it go. But let me tell you something what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't condoning 
the person's actions who hurt you. It's not diminishing the pain that you, you felt. It's not. It's not diminishing any of that. You know, even Jesus, when he uh, had that woman who was caught in adultery brought before him, he didn't condone her sin, right? He says, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, we're to forgive the way that Christ forgives. That's what the scripture says. And forgive one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. When Jesus was suffering and dying on that cross, he was still thinking of those who had beat him, who had spat upon him, who mocked him, who betrayed him. And he still asked the Father to forgive. That's the model that Paul has set for us. That's the standard of forgiveness that we should have towards not only fellow believers, fellow people, but for our wives. We've been called to be like Christ. And I think that the closest that we can come in this life as human beings to ever being like Christ is when we forgive. That's when you and Jesus have a marked resemblance. Amen? When we forgive. You remember that Greek word, afiyamai? To let go? Jesus came to set us free. But many of us still remain in bondage because we have not forgiven and we have not let go. Many of us have hardened our hearts towards somebody, maybe even our spouse. And that's a prison that you've sentenced yourself to. And you're the only one who holds the key. Understand, like I said, hasn't forgiveness isn't condoning the hurt that somebody caused you or the pain that you felt. But what it does, it takes the, the punishment out of our hands and puts it in the hands of God. You know, a lot of this bitterness and, forget, and, and, and anger and unforgiveness we feel is because of our lack of humility, I think. We take on an offense and we say, how can they have done that to... Well, how could they have done it to Jesus? had no sin how could they betray him but we allow ourselves to want revenge and justice you know there's a lot of folks out here who believe in this new age garbage that we live in but if when they get hurt they turn into 17th century Puritans don't they they want to be done upright and just we all do but in Ro well, it says in Proverbs 15.3 that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere keeping watch on both the wicked and the good. God sees what they've done to you. God sees. I think Second, yeah, 1 Timothy 5.24 says that the sins of some men are obvious and they go ahead of them to judgment, but the sins of others 
do not, but they suffer, they'll surface later. They will when they reach judgment. God's going to take care of things. He is the one who will exact revenge. He tells us and warns us about that, right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do not repay evil with evil. First Peter 3.8. I have quoted it so many times because the Lord keeps bringing it into my mind because of the hurt that I've experienced in my life. It says this, finally, all of you, be humble and sympathetic. Love us, brothers. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called that you might inherit a blessing. I don't know about you, but I want to inherit blessings. I want to be free, truly free. I want to live my life from the forgiveness of God. And I don't want to be held in bondage anymore by the unforgiveness in my life. And if I'm going to say that Jesus is my Lord and I surrender, I have to surrender everything. And I have to surrender all that unforgiveness and all that bitterness and all that anger to let go so that I might have life and have freedom from all that stuff. You know, in Jesus, he warns about unforgiveness in a little parable in Matthew chapter 18, doesn't he? Do you guys remember that? The parable in unmerciful for a servant? Let me just read it to you real quick and I'll end with this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times, 77 times, I'm sorry. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle some accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that his he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold in to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him and he said, Be patient with me, beg, and I will, I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. And get this, that word, Greek word, aphemia, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your hearts. From your hearts. Are you hearing it? there's anyone here who has harbored bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness for some of the things that's happened in your life, 
and you still are and you're operating from that place of bitterness and, and unforgiveness, remember how God forgave you and what it cost him to set you free. I beg and I plead with you not to stay in that bondage any longer. You want freedom? You want true freedom? Then you have to let it go. As we get ready for communion, we remember the great cost that it caused God, cost God for us to be forgiven. Jesus came and he died that we might be free. His body and his blood represents that freedom. So if you're still in bondage today and you haven't totally given it all up, I pray that that you would you would just let somebody pray with you. We love you here. We do. And we want you to be free. We want you to know the, the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. We have folks that would love to pray with you. If you don't feel like coming forward and, and coming up here to be prayed with, just raise your hand where you're sitting. Let people know that you need prayer on this issue. And I know that there's a lot of folks that will pray with you. Maybe your, your marriage right now is not where it needs to be. Maybe there's, maybe there's division between the two that God joined together. If you want prayer for your, for your communion with your spouse today, we'll pray for you. Okay? So as we have a time to reflect and come to the communion table, just come. Don't leave this place in the same bondage you came in with, please. I love you and I want you to be free, but Jesus loves you even more, and he died that you might be. Let him examine your hearts. The invitation's open.
Father, we just continue to lift up just the prayers that have been brought to you this morning. We lift up those that have gone unspoken this morning as, as maybe fear continues to grip or, or anxiety continues to grip or, or maybe we can't even just put into words or an understanding of what has a grasp. But God, we just... We just come before you. We just lay it at your feet. We ask for forgiveness from you. And God, it's our prayer that then we would in turn offer forgiveness to those around us. And my prayer would be that that starts in my own heart. That that would start in my own heart and overflow into everyone around me. And I pray that for harvest and for this community and not just for harvest, but every church and believer in this, in this community. Because if we, God, if you have this beautiful picture, if we would each live in a place of forgiveness, God, what, what churches could come together or what, what, what communities could be healed? 